to speak from the very famous story of the, the wise men. So if you have a Bible, you might want to turn to uh, Matthew chapter 2. And uh, I want to bring a message that's really just uh, going to assume no prior knowledge. You may not really have ever read this story. You may not be a Christian today. You may, not be, you may be looking into it, but not yet committed to whatever Christians believe, whatever Christmas is about. But Ma- Matthew 2 shows some seekers, some people coming to the Christmas scene to find out what it's all about. So let me read it, and then we'll explore it together. Uh, And uh, Matthew 2, verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi came from the east. That is the word that's often translated wise men. So wise men from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them, where is the Christ who was to be born? And they replied, in Bethlehem, in Judea. For this is what was written by the prophet, this is the prophet Micah now, hundreds of years previous he wrote this, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, you are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi, the wise men, secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child as soon as you find him. Report to me so I may come and worship him. After they'd heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the the east went ahead of them, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and incense or frankincense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Well, this is a pretty infamous story now, isn't it? And I put a question mark over that, three wise men, because I think as people, modern people read this passage, they have some questions, especially if you're female today, and you should know if you are, uh, especially if you're female, I'm sure one of your questions is, why did God, in all of his wisdom, why did he not choose three wise women? instead of three wise men. Do you not ask that question? Don't you think the nativity scene would have been a lot tidier if it had been three wise women? Don't you think they would have booked a room at the inn in advance? Yeah? (laughs) Helped deliver the baby, no doubt, and made a casserole by the evening uh, as well for the shepherds or whatever it may be. You know, why, why three wise men? I'm sure knitted a matching set of hat and gloves for the baby or whatever it may be. Why three wise men and not three wise women? And in addition to that, if it was three wise men, another sort of question mark, because I think a lot, of, a lot of women I've spoken to, they say, you know, I don't even believe in wise men. <laughs> I've never met a single wise man, let alone three of them, three of them in the same place at the same time. Surely this is stuff is made up, you know, come on. The virgin birth, no problem. The, the doctrine of the Trinity, fine. The bodily resurrection of Jesus, but three wise men. 
is just beyond belief. Am I, am I resonating with you, ladies? Come on, some of you are nodding. Wise and man is what we call an oxymoron, isn't it? Isn't that right? <laughs> A contradiction in terms. I don't know why I'm saying this. I'm speaking as if I'm some kind of neutral on the subject. Uh, but I, I, I tend to agree with you that the, this, this, this has, doesn't have the ring of authenticity about it, this story, because these alleged three wise men, leaving aside the issues of, of wisdom and men, these are three alleged, they do, they do two things that no real man would ever do. Did you notice this in the passage? Number one, they ask for directions. <laughs> right? They ask for... <laughs> now, now, come on. If you're a real man here this morning, you know that we just don't do that, do we? On principle, we don't stop and ask for directions. You can see on the next slide one of those, those scenes that, that used to characterize people's, um, people's journeys. Can you click on? Uh, those, those scenes that used to characterize people's journeys. You know, I, I think um, these days we're growing up sort of with, with a little bit sort of, you know, less familiar with this because we have sat-navs. But do you remember those times when we used to have heated discussions because we were lost in the car. Do you remember this? I actually, I'm going back now to my childhood a little bit. I remember one journey where my mother and father were in the front, I was in the back, and I remember one journey where the, the, uh, the, my mother and father were, were having a heated discussion because we were lost, and I remember um, my, a passerby, we pulled over to the side of the road because we were properly lost, uh, my dad insisting it was a shortcut or whatever we, excuses we used. We pulled over to the side and there was a passerby coming and I remember my mother beginning to undo the window. It was an electric window. Beginning to undo it and my father was so adamant we were not going to ask for directions. He locked the windows. You know, on, on your side. He actually, yeah, that's right, he actually locked the windows. My mother's, you know, and then drove off. My mother sort of shouting through a crack in the window, do you know the way to Amarillo or whatever it was that we got? Anyway... <laughs> Man, I learned what it is to be a real man on that day. A real man does not ask for directions, number one. And number two, we do not assemble flat packs through instructions. Have you noticed this? We don't follow direct. We don't ask for directions and we don't use instructions. These two things are a female agenda to rob us of our masculinity and we won't succumb to it. We do not ask for directions and we, we may not have a, a six pack, but we're not going to use instructions to assemble a flat pack. Do I hear an amen? All right, so, so we've got a problem with this passage. Firstly, they asked for directions. Secondly, another thing that a real man would not do, they bought the perfect gift for an infant. Do you notice this? In other words, real men do not ask for directions, and they, real men cannot shop. That's the other thing that I would want to... This is all a bit stereotyped this morning, isn't it? Real men cannot shop. They, you notice they arrive... Um, and, uh, and they, they arrive with the perfect gifts. We're going to look at this in a moment. They've brought the perfect gifts for the infant Jesus. Now, can I just um, dismantle the nativity scene for you for a moment? You notice that they arrived not to a baby, but to an infant. Jesus, they, they probably arrived two years late, which is a little bit more typical of men. So, so they arrived two years late. The shepherds have long gone. So can I, I'm afraid, I'm going to have to break some bad news to you today. The, the, the cute nativity scenes that you've seen of shepherds and wise men with donkeys neighing in a stable. It's not quite in the Bible. Is that, oh, I'm sorry to break the news to you so, so harshly like that. The, the, the shepherds were long gone. Jesus was probably about two years old by this point, by the time they actually made it. And did you notice where they made it to? They, they, they came to the house where they were staying. This was not actually in a, a stable. Anyway, that's another, that's another story by this point in the story. 
And actually, we're not even sure that there were three of them. This may be slightly more realistic now. There were at least two, because the word is plural. There were, there were more than one wise man, wise men. But the only reason we say there were three is because there were three presents. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But it could have been any number that, um, that brought those. And it may well have been their wives that bought them, wrapped them up, and then they gave them and took the credit. Is that, does that sound familiar as well? Anyway, my point is, were these real men, um, they bought perfect presents. I, I don't know about you, but I've been, uh, I'm not great at shopping. Um, and um, I therefore had a great sympathy for a, 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 a couple of guys who in Chester had put some fake plaques on benches in, in Chester High Street. If you can click on to the next slide, uh, you'll see one of them. This bench is dedicated to the men who have lost the will to live <laughs> while following their partners around the shoe shops in Chester. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I don't know, I, I thought that had a certain amount of comedy to it. Anyway, I hear end of the stereotypes. I hear end of the stereotypes, because on the other hand, whilst they asked for directions and shopped for the perfect gift, which doesn't sound classic, men, whilst they did those things, on the other hand, isn't there a little ring of authenticity about this passage? Because if God was indeed giving his son to the world, don't you think that it might be possible that was written in the stars, so to speak? that the, the universe, the whole of the universe was in some way lined up to experience and celebrate this moment because the greatest moment in human history was happening. God was entering into this sphere of our world. Isn't that an extraordinary thought? It's not that surprising that he would in some way align, whether these were, were planetary alignments, whether it was some kind of supernova, whether it was a comet, we're not sure what this was. And, and I think it goes beyond what we know to try and make it up. But wouldn't it be not too surprising if God wanted the whole of this universe in some way to line up with the greatest event in human history? I heard a great quote by a colonel, Colonel James Irwin, who himself became an astronaut. And when, um, when humans first landed on the moon, and it was celebrated as sort of this great event in human history, I remember him saying... Uh, in this great quote he, he, that I read, he said, the greatest moment in human history was not when man stood on the moon, but when God stood on the earth. Now, if this is the greatest moment in human history, it's not that surprising that it should be written in the stars, and not that surprising that both poor people, the shepherds, and rich people, the wise men, they would have been, the word magi that we're translating there as wise men, the, the word magi indicates, it's from, from which we get our word magic, but these were not magicians in our sense. These were, were men who would have been the absolute elite of their day, who would have spent their time in an area roughly, we think, of Persia. They would have spent their time in the Persian Empire using their education to study the stars with almost a kind of combination of science, trying to track the lines of the stars, science and spiritualism. It, it's as if they brought together astronomy and astrology, <laughs> looking as scientists, but also for spiritual significance, trying to discern what great events were happening in the universe through the stars. So these men from the East are the elites of their day. The shepherds from Israel are the poor of their day. Isn't it a beautiful thought that the whole of humanity is almost coming to worship the arrival of the King of the world, Jesus Christ? And as they do so then, they show us what Christmas is really all about. It's about Christ. And I know that sounds obvious, but isn't it possible to go through the season 
and almost find that Christmas became something other than a focus on Jesus. If you take Christ out of Christmas, literally you're left with M&S. Have you noticed that? If you think about the word, if you take Christ out of Christmas, you're left with M&S. <laughs> now, there's nothing wrong with Marks and Spencers, but it's not Christmas. You will not find in anything that you can purchase on your credit card the true meaning of Christmas. These wise men lead us to the true meaning as they come to this extraordinary moment. Think about this now. These three elite, or let's, let's assume it was three, however many elite wise men, they arrive from the east, and did you notice they kneel? Can you imagine this scene? They kneel before an infant and they worship him. Here they're showing us the true meaning of Christmas. Someone has come in the person of Jesus Christ that deserves our worship. How do we find him? Well, I want to just remind you of the two things I said about these men and take you back through them. Number one is ask for directions. How do you find Jesus at Christmas time? Ask for directions. What happens with these men, if you notice, is that some sign appears, in, the, in this case in the stars, that gets their attention. You notice this, that they're minding their own business in their own country, and they see something that gets their attention. It's something unusual, something strange, that starts to cause them to wonder whether they're being given a message. And I, I just see that, and I think, actually, that's the kind of thing that God, if there's a God, that's the kind of thing he would do. He would get people's attention. He would want us to begin to wonder, I wonder if there's somebody out there. And I wonder if he's trying to get my attention. Have you ever had those moments in life where something happens? It may just be a seemingly random coincidence or a, a, a situation or an experience that you go through in life or someone that you bump into as an old friend. People have so many experiences in life where as it happens, you're left thinking, gosh, that was strange. <laughs> I wonder if there's a meaning to this. I wonder, it may even be that you're here today, and it's the reason that you're here is because something's happened in your life. You've experienced something, you've heard something, you've met someone, and it's stirred something in you that makes you feel, I, I think there might be someone out there who's trying to get my attention. That's what happens with these wise men. They get, God gets their attention. And, and he does it through sometimes very ordinary means, as ordinary as the person sitting next to you. Sometimes it's just an invite. Do you want to come to church? But it lands just at the right moment for where you're at in life, and it sounds like it's come from beyond. I was um, a friend of, of mine now that I've got to know in, in the church that we're part of. He, um, he was going through a really difficult time because he and his wife were, were separating. And as they were separating... Um, he, in really struggling with the pain of that, he bumped into an old friend of his he'd not seen for years. They, they ended up at the same uh, cycle, they're cyclists, they ended up at the same race. And they got chatting, and the old friend of his said, do you want to meet up for a coffee sometime? So they did. And the old friend of his was sharing how he was now a Christian. And he was explaining the difference that Jesus had made to his life just through that random coincidence, you might put it down to, a sign was being given to this guy um, th that he'd met. As they're sitting, so sometimes God uses very ordinary means, right? Sometimes it gets quite extraordinary. As they're sitting at the table in the, in the coffee shop having coffee, a lady who they'd never met before 
came up to them and spoke to the guy and just said, I feel like I'm, I'm a Christian and I feel like God has just given me this verse from the Bible to give to you. And she just walked off. Extraordinary, isn't it? Sometimes God uses ordinary means, the person that we bump into. Sometimes he uses extraordinary means, but either way, he gets our attention. But I want you to notice that once God had got their attention, still... They did not find their way to Jesus on their own. They had to ask for directions. (laughs) When they came to Jerusalem, they asked in Jerusalem, where is the king to be born? Can you point us in the right direction? And did you notice, where did they get their directions from? From the Holy Scriptures. Did you notice this? The sign can take them so far, but it takes them to a place where they now have to say, so how do we find Jesus? And the answer comes from the Bible, from, in particular, a prophet called Micah. Now, I find this absolutely extraordinary that 600 years before the birth of Christ, Micah wrote something that must have been very confusing to him. Because he says of a small town called Bethlehem, out of you will come, literally it reads, the ancient of days. Someone will be born in Bethlehem, who will be the ancient of days. Isn't that an extraordinary thought? You know, there, there is, it's possible to, to grow old in this life, but when you're born, you're not ancient. <laughs> and yet, in some mysterious way, someone's going to be born in Bethlehem who did not start there. They are coming from an ancient place, an eternal place. 600 years before the birth of Christ, Micah writes this. Now, Jesus Christ fulfills this prophecy perfectly in such a way that he could not have planned. After all, do any of us get to plan our birthplace? (laughs) You may be very organized, but that's one of the few things in life that you don't get to organize, right? I was born in Wales, after all. I would not have chosen that. Where is she? Is she here somewhere? There she is. I I knew she'd be here somewhere. I had to slip that in. The Bible is a miraculous book. It's got extraordinary harmony, and the whole thing is designed to lead us to Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you this Christmas, you may have been seeing a sign, you may have had an experience, something that's stirring an interest in you. I want to encourage you, ask for directions. Where will you find those directions? Here in the Scriptures. Take time this Christmas, if you want this Christmas to be about Christ, why not take time to actually read one of the Gospel accounts of the life of Jesus? As you read it, you will find it is giving you directions. It's possible in this world, isn't it, to feel confused, even lost at times. In, in, the, in the life, in the modern world that we live in, I want to tell you, you'll find your direction and purpose and meaning right here. Now, as they did this, as they asked for directions, they arrived successfully in Bethlehem, and there they presented their gifts to Christ. And I just wanted to focus in a little bit on the gifts that they brought and the way in which these wise men show us who Jesus is by the presence that they gave. Because if you do successfully buy the perfect gift, you'll notice that one of the reasons it's perfect is it's perfect for that person. Yeah? Gifts are a very personal thing, aren't they? If If you get it just right, it's because you've understood who the person is and you've matched the gift to that person. Amen? I think that's what we're trying to achieve in what we buy at Christmas time. I want to suggest to you that they bought the perfect presents. 
They may not have been as practical if it had been three wise women. I'm sure it would have been a lot more practical for gifts. But nevertheless, three perfect presents that reflect who Jesus is. Number one is gold. Gold is a gift for a king. Gold is a gift for a king. It's a royal gift. Now, if you think about the legend that has arisen around these magi, these wise men, this is even more extraordinary. This isn't in the Bible. This is a later legend, but there may be some truth in it. Quite likely that there is. Have you heard the carol that we sing? We three kings of Orient are. Have you sung this carol? In other words, there is a legend that these three men were themselves rulers or kings. So isn't it an extraordinary moment when rulers or kings kneel before an infant and worship him? That's something quite mysterious, isn't it? And present him with gold as if to say, we are kings, but here is the king of kings. (laughs) In Jesus Christ, they are identifying God's eternal king who has made his way into human history and written himself into the script. I heard an amazing quote by Queen Victoria, who until recently was the longest reigning British monarch, but I think our great queen has just surpassed her, hasn't she? But anyway, Queen Victoria apparently said uh, this extraordinary quote, I wish to be alive when Jesus Christ returns, that I might be the first monarch to take off my crown and lay it at his feet. There's a queen who'd understood that she might be a queen, but there is a king of kings. And in some way, this gift of gold is reminding us that every human being needs to come to a place of, if you like, taking off our crown. Now, I appreciate we are not kings and queens this morning, but God has allowed us, if you like, to have the free will of making our choice. We can choose to keep the crown of authority on our own heads and decide that life will be lived my way, or we can come to the moment these wise men did of taking off our crown, laying it at his feet and saying, Lord Jesus Christ, I choose to live my life your way. I give you the crown. Take authority in my life. I want to tell you, when they did this, did you notice in the passage, it says that they were overjoyed. When you give away your life to Jesus, you will find that he gives you an extraordinary joy that you cannot find by keeping the crown for yourself. Now, I've been a Christian for many years now. I don't know if if you're a Christian, I don't know if you found this. It's tempting to have moments where you almost sort of slip that crown back on again (laughs) and take things into our own hands and try and allow life to be once again lived our way. I want to encourage us all this Christmas, whether you're a Christian yet or you're thinking about becoming a Christian, I want to encourage you. It's It's a time of the year, it's a season to remind ourselves Joy will be found, true life will be found when we take off our crown and lay it at his feet. He is the king. Secondly, though, frankincense. Frankincense was a gift related to the priests. Frankincense was a a, a white resinous gum from trees in Persia. But Israel imported this because it was used in the temple. Priests would take this white resin... And as they burnt it, it gave off an extraordinary fragrance. That's why in some translations it's just called incense, fragrance. And what they used it for was effectively to symbolize, through the fragrance it gave off, the beauty of God's presence filling the temple. I mean, I don't know if you use scented candles and these kinds of things, but if you do, you have the same kind of effect where you light one of these things 
and slowly it fills the whole room with another atmosphere, another sense or presence. Now imagine them giving this gift then of frankincense as if to say, here is the one who will bring the presence of God into people's lives. I like to think that Mary would have actually, in that house where they were staying, would have lit the, would have started to burn that that, um, frankincense, filling the home where Jesus was, as if symbolically saying, here is God, come to bring his fragrance into our lives. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it, of the presence of God. That's why we call him Emmanuel. It means God with us. When we invite Jesus Christ into our lives, what we're doing is we're allowing the presence of God, the fragrance of God, to invade our own homes and our own hearts and to transform the atmosphere. This is what he can do because he is God in human form who gives us his Holy Spirit to change the atmosphere of our hearts and our homes. I love the the carol, um, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. It's a very dense, beautifully written liturgy, effectively, of Christian truth. And one of the lines um, says, uh, regarding Christ, it says, Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail, the incarnate deity. Beautiful line. What it's saying is, hail, here is the incarnate. Literally, that means the in the flesh God. Deity is God. The in the flesh God. And then it says this, Pleased as man, with man to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. This Christmas, I want to encourage you to be more concerned about experiencing the true Christmas presence than getting more Christmas presents. (laughs) Did you hear what I did there? Can, Can you be more concerned? Can we be more concerned about experiencing the true Christmas presence than just getting more Christmas presents? Because Christmas is not about presents, it's about presence. Amen? It's about God invading our lives and filling our homes with the fragrance of his glory and beauty. Now, if we are parents, if we are living on our own or in families, I want to encourage you to be agents this Christmas who, if you like, who light the incense in our homes. I don't mean physically, I mean spiritually, who take time to say we're going to set alight this frankincense of his presence and say, Lord, this Christmas, fill our homes with your presence. We don't want more presents. <laughs> or we'll have a few of those, but we want more of his presence. That's going to be the focus in our homes. Amen? Gold for a king. Frankincense for a priest. And thirdly, myrrh. Myrrh for a sacrifice. As we come to the final present that they gave to Jesus... maybe these were real men, because this does seem like a a present that bombed a little bit, given that myrrh was a spice for embalming dead bodies. Now, don't you think that would have been a slightly awkward moment when the third guy, let's assume it was, there were three of them, the third guy says to Mary, and I got you this. (laughs) And she says, oh, how sweet of you, for when he's dead, thank you so much. Now, that is an awkward moment, isn't it? I mean, you think about it in that kind of way. That that is an awkward moment because at the birth of Christ, this third gift almost seems seems to be looking expectantly towards the death of Christ. Of course, at Christmas, this made no sense. But by Easter, this made perfect sense. Because actually, in a unique way, unlike the rest of us here, where our birth is celebrated and our death is unfortunate, 
with the person of Jesus Christ, yes, we celebrate his birth, but in some mysterious way, his death will become even more important. Christmas looks to Easter. From the womb of Mary, he will end up in the tomb in Jerusalem. And it was all God's plan. This third present is, I think, the most profound. Because even at his birth, it is announcing to the world that somehow through his death, hope will come to this world. Jesus Christ, I wonder, again, I wonder, did Mary, did she then, when Jesus was crucified, in his early 30s, when he was nailed to a Roman cross, I wonder if she then got that myrrh out again, with new significance, Did she take it to the tomb, even though they never got to embalm the body, they were on their way to do it, did she take it to the tomb? And remember that even at his birth, this moment was prophesied. That somehow through his death, Jesus Christ would take on himself all of the sin and shame of this world, all our guilt and shame, and he would be crucified. He got nailed for our sin. In order that through his death, we might be offered the gift of forgiveness and a brand new start with God. And then three days later, through his resurrection, not only forgiveness for the past, but hope for the future, he might defeat death, trample over death by his resurrection that gives hope to all humanity. This is the true message of Christmas. It was written into the script from the very beginning. Amen? He has defeated our sin, and he has conquered death, and offered us eternal life and hope that we receive, like every Christmas present, as sheer gift. You can't earn it. You don't have to take out a repayment plan for it. It is sheer gift of grace. You know, yesterday I was at a funeral for one of my family relatives who died very suddenly. And in this Christian funeral, once again I was reminded of both the sadness of loss but the absolute triumph of Jesus. He has broken the power of death. He has offered life and immortality to humanity. We have a hope even that death cannot take away. And it all started at Christmas. The gift of myrrh is a prophetic gift to say through his death, he will kill death. (laughs) Through his resurrection, he will offer eternal life. Hallelujah. And for those reasons, I want to invite every one of us today to come freshly to the place before the risen and reigning Lord Jesus Christ, to the same place that those wise men came to on that first Christmas, to humble ourselves, to kneel and proclaim him to be our king through gold, our priest who brings the presence of God into our lives, and most importantly, our sacrifice through his death on the cross, offering us new life. I want to encourage you this Christmas, let it be all about Christ. Don't be left with (laughs) M&S. Don't be left with just more presents. Ask him for his presence. I mentioned earlier um, a friend who, that that friend who who was sitting in the cafe uh, talking to another guy he'd bumped into, a lady comes over. You know, it's amazing the way God works in our lives when we open our lives to him. You know, he he started coming to church and he's given his life to Christ. He's, He's He's experienced the true meaning of Christmas well before Christmas. (laughs) And I asked him the other day, I said, what difference has this made in your life? And he said this phrase to me, he said, the whole atmosphere has changed. And when I was preparing this message, that came back to my mind with regards to the frankincense. You know, it changes the atmosphere. 
the whole atmosphere has changed. As we put Christ front and centre of Christmas, the whole atmosphere changes. We find his joy, they were overjoyed in his presence. Amen? So I want to invite us, you know, I appreciate the rows may be a bit tight and, and so forth, but I want to invite you, make sure there's no coffee cups under the seats, etc. I want to invite you to kneel. It may not be for everyone, and physically you may not be able to, but it may also be that you're not spiritually in a place that you're ready for that. But today I want to invite you to kneel with, with me for a couple of reasons. Number one is, it may be that you're here today and you are kind of on the edge of this Christianity thing. Maybe you've been on a journey. These wise men, they, they were on a journey, but maybe you've asked for some directions. You've had the courage to look into this and explore it. And I just wonder whether there's some of us here today where actually we're now ready to come to Christ. You know, you've seen some signs. You've, you've felt a presence calling you and drawing you And today's a great opportunity to kneel and say, Today, Lord Jesus, I come to you. Would you take away my sin? Would you fill my life with that incense of your presence and make me a new person? It may be that one or two of us are in that place. I want to invite you today to kneel and receive Christ as sheer gift. You don't have to pay for this. You just have to receive it. But it may be some of us, uh, we've done that a a while ago. We're, We're Christians But actually today we want to make a fresh decision to submit our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ, to proclaim him to be our king, firstly, to lay our crowns at his feet, to proclaim him to be our priest, secondly, to ask him to fill our homes with his presence, his incense again, and to thank him for being our sacrifice, to receive that gift of forgiveness uh, in a fresh way through his death. This is the true meaning of Christmas. And I want to invite us to respond in the only way that this passage shows us. They, what does it say? When they came to the house, they saw the child and they bowed down and they worshipped him. So if you're in a place to do that for either of those reasons, I want to invite you right now just to kneel with me and I want to lead us in a prayer of response. Lord God, we thank you today that it can now be said of us, of our lives, they bowed down and they worshipped Jesus, your Son. We willingly today, Lord God, we bow our knees as a sign of surrender to Jesus. We proclaim him the one worthy of the gift of gold because he is the King of kings. And we bow before him today to take off our crowns and to lay them at his feet. I pray for those especially kneeling today because they have been conscious of living their life for themselves, living their life their way. And today you're kneeling to say, I take off that crown and I give it back to Jesus. Lord Jesus, take control of my life again. I invite you to be the centre. Thank you, Lord. Just If that's your prayer today, just, just offer that prayer to him. He's listening right now to your heart. Just receive and offer that prayer to him. Say, I'm giving you the crown. Lord, come back to the center of my life. And we also thank you today, Lord Jesus, that you are worthy of the gift of frankincense because you are the priest 
who brings the presence of God into our lives. And we kneel to say this Christmas, we do not want more presence only. We want to know more of your presence in our hearts. We kneel today to say, would you come and change the atmosphere, Lord, where we've become caught up in a world of greed, of materialism. We say, Lord, deliver us from that, that we might be more aware of the presence of Jesus. That our homes, our children, our families may have the sweet incense burning in the centre, the presence of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, we kneel finally to say thank you. Thank you that the gift of myrrh was in fact spot on. That you, even from birth, you had come to make a death that would give life to humanity. And we thank you that your crucified body has taken away our sin. And your risen, resurrected glory has brought us victory over even death itself. And we again kneel today to say, Lord Jesus Christ, forgive us our sins. We forgive those, Lord, who sinned against us, but we say through your death, again, forgive us our sins and make us new people. Through your risen, glorious victory, let the hope of eternal life fill our hearts and homes this Christmas, we pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You are the real gift. You will be our Christmas. We turn all our focus and attention on you. And our hearts, Lord, today, we feel overjoyed to be in your presence. Overjoyed to know the King of Kings. Overjoyed to welcome his presence into our homes. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And we pray that this church, this season, would lead many other people to this place of joy through Jesus Christ. Lord, for all the other services, for all the other settings, I pray for great fruit that many hearts will find the true meaning of Christmas, that we would be the sign, we would have the coffee, we would give the invitation that just becomes the next part of a journey for many people to reach the hope of humanity, Jesus Christ. So use us as we kneel before you, we offer ourselves to you. Fill our homes and our hearts and now use us to reach many others. In your name we pray. Thank you, Father. Amen.